Shalom and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And before we get started, I have to give praises to our creator, our king and his son, Yahuwah and Yahusha, because it wasn't for him. We would not have salvation and have a chance at eternal life. I'm Boyce Washington and on the other side of me is the pastor Richard Washington. And we are the Science of the Covenant. If during the podcast you have any questions or comments or even afterwards, you can email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. And if you are watching on a PC or computer on YouTube, uh, you can also submit your question or comment in the live chat and we would try to address it uh, on air. Uh, we want you to remind you that the Day of Atonement is coming October the 7th. That is this Friday from sundown Thursday to sundown Friday. We will be celebrating the Day of Atonement. Come celebrate with us at 1 p.m. Then again at 7 p.m. on October the 7th at 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. And then the following week, October the 12th and the 19th, we will be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. At 1 p.m. and at 6 p.m. Again, we'll be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles October the 12th and 19th at 1 and 6 p.m. So, if you have been tuning in, and if you haven't, the pastor has started us on a new study called The Destiny of Disobedience. It's a very interesting study, and I encourage you, if you haven't listened to the first one, you need to go back and listen to that one, either on Anchor or the video on YouTube. So, so Pastor, uh, you'll be giving us the Destiny of Disobedience Part 2. Am I correct? Yeah, that's correct. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll turn it over to you. Okay, thank you very much, and we appreciate the introduction. And what we want to do is to continue where we left off uh, now. I believe we left off uh, as we were talking about from from Adam all the way up to uh, the nation of Israel. But we also understood in the last uh, discourse that we gave that uh, disobedience didn't really start here. Disobedience started in heaven, and then disobedience was brought down here. And ever since, we have been going down the path of disobedience. And we're looking at different generations which have come up upon Earth's stage of history and how they started off, and a lot of them started off well, but they didn't end up the same way. And so we want to continue on that particular path that we have uh, started, is to go through the history of uh, Elohim's people. And as I've said, we stopped last week at Israel and the salvation in which uh, they were to give to the world. And so that's where we want to pick up where we left off. Let us pray. Eternal Father, as we look to you again, we realize that we are in the last days. Many of us, so Heavenly Father, we look for the last days. And now that we are in those last days, it's amazing that you have kept us alive to be able to see all of the signs that are being fulfilled according to Matthew 24. And as we see deception and as we see individuals trying to imitate the second coming and as we see earthquakes in diverse places and how all of these things have been prophesied. And so as 
we go into your word again today and to be able to see how your people have fared during their sojourn on this earth, that it might teach us as we look at their disobedience that we may determine that we are going to be obedient to your word in your way and your will, that when you do come, you can find us walking in the path of righteousness. These blessings and others we ask upon my host, myself, and each listener, that we may be in tune with you. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, my you turn with me in the book of Genesis and our first text in the book of Genesis, chapter 37. I want to look at... Uh, a couple of verses there. The first verse, we're going to look at Genesis 37. I want to look at verses uh, 28 and 36. And here, 28 says, 37th chapter. It said, Then there passed by the Midianites, the merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Okay, and then 36 of the same 37th chapter of Genesis says, And the Midianites sold him into Egypt and unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. So as I pointed out last week, that it was the first son of Rachel, of whom was named Joseph, that he would bring about the salvation of the world as a prototype of Yeshua who would bring about salvation to the world. And Joseph's, just as Joseph's brother sold him to his cousins, the Ishmaelites, for 30, for 20 pieces of silver, he was sold Yeshua, he was sold by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Now the Ishmaelites, in turn, brought Joseph into Egypt, and the Midianites sold him into Egypt to unto Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh and and the captain of the guard. So when Potiphar, so when Potiphar got him, uh, he was became one of an officer. That Potiphar was an officer of one of the Pharaohs, and he was considered to be the captain of the guard. And it was under Potiphar's tenure that Joseph was in prison under a false allegation of seducing Potiphar's wife. However, through the providential will of Yah, it was Joseph's dreams which had got him into trouble, and it would be dreams that would eventually set him free. Now, upon interpreting the Pharaoh's dreams, he was made the second uh, ruler over Egypt. Now, when we read in... Uh, Genesis in Genesis 39 1 it says here in, uh, in Genesis 39 1 it says and Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar an officer of the Pharaoh captain of the guard an Egyptian brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites which had brought him down either okay now when he was there, he was in prison. But uh, when, when he was down there in, in Egypt, when he, they had brought him down, uh, they brought him down as a prisoner. 
And then while being there, we are told in Genesis uh, 41 and also verse 41, the Bible tells us that Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. So in other words, he had elevated him over all of the land of Egypt. Why was that? Because he had interpreted the king's dream. And when Pharaoh had a dream, nobody in his empire could interpret that dream but Joseph. And so when Joseph interpreted the dream, and Joseph said, you need to find a man who can be able to fit this, what I've dreamed. And Pharaoh said, we can find no greater person than you. So he elevated him. And Pharaoh called his name. What did he call his name? Let's look at verse 45. Genesis 41, 45 says, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephnah Zephnah and he gave him the to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, and Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So now what we're looking at is he called his name Zephnah Pinea. Okay. Now the name Zephnah. Pinea carries the meaning of savior, savior, savior of world, savior of world. He was named as such because of his plan given to him by Yah to preserve the food for the seven years of plenty and for the seven years of, of, of famine to follow. So in other words... The reason why he called him Zephnah Pinea was because all nations, when it came to the seven years of famine, would not have food. But because of Joseph's interpreting the Pharaoh's dream, that they would store up all of the food for seven years. So when the seven years of famine came, they would have food for those particular years. If you remember, the Pharaoh had a dream about seven uh, fat cows coming up. And then he dreamed that seven lean cows came up and ate up the seven fat cows. And then he had another dream that corn, ears of corn came up and they were very plush. But then seven lean years or seven lean uh, corn came up and it overcame the seven plush or the seven fatty corn. And and that those dreams was one dream, but it was given from two interpretations. One was given from the livestock and the other was given from the grain in the fields. And so when we look at uh, Genesis chapter 41 and we look at verses 35 and 36, it says, there's here in verse 35, it said, and let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And the food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through famine. So Elohim had set up this dream for Joseph to interpret and just as Joseph helped save the world and the nation of Israel 
from a worldwide famine, even so was he a typical savior, portraying an intertypical savior, Yeshua, our Messiah, who would be a savior of the entire world and his people, Israel. So we see that one of the sons of Joseph, uh, uh, of Jacob, was Joseph, and had come from Rachel. And it was through the line of Jacob's son, Levi, that Amram and his wife, uh, Jacobed, that their son, Moses, was born. Okay, so, so when we look at uh, one of the sons of, uh, I believe that was Leah, his, his first wife, she had Levi. And so Levi was the one that the priestly line had come down through. Okay, but as that line continued to grow, we find that uh, another deliverer was to come uh, in order to deliver Elohim's people because uh, we find that his people were constantly going astray. Now, this time we want to turn into our text in Exodus chapter 2, and we want to look at uh, verses 1 and 2, Exodus chapter 2. Now, here the Bible says in chapter 2 of Exodus, starting with verse 1, and it says, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and he took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Okay. Now, here Moses was born through the tribe of Levi, and the man that is spoken of in verse 2 is, is uh, Amram, and the, and the daughter in whom he, he wife was his woman or his wife, that was Jacobed, okay? And so she, she had Moses. Now, she hid him three months because there was a, a particular law or demand in the land by the pharaohs that all of the male child children should should die. He wanted to kill all of the male children. Okay, now when we turn into Exodus chapter 6, okay, Exodus chapter 6, and we want to look at verse number 20. Exodus 6, 20 says this. It says, And Amram took him Jacobed, his father's sister, to wife, and she bare him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137 years, okay? So we here we see the origin of Moses, all right? Now we want to turn to First uh, Chronicles, First Chronicles. And in First Chronicles, we want to look at chapter 6, First Chronicles chapter 6. Now, in First Chronicles chapter 6, Want to look at verse number three? Okay, the Bible says, "And the children of Amram, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, the sons also of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, 
Okay, so it's showing a it's showing a line here of the descendants uh, from this particular Levi tribe. Elohim had chosen Moses to lead his people out of bondage. However, both Moses and Israel were disobedient to the commands of Yah and were not permitted to come into the promised land. Okay. Now we want to turn back to uh, we want to turn back to Deuteronomy. And in the book of Deuteronomy, we want to look at chapter 32. In other words, what we are showing is that Israel had some faithful folk, but at the same time, they had some disobedient folk. And because of the disobedience, sometimes there was a lag in being able to obtain the full favor of Elohim. So now we read in, in Deuteronomy 32, Okay, and in Deuteronomy 32, we look at verse number 51. Now, the Bible says here in, in verse 51 of, of Deuteronomy 32, because ye trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zen, because ye sanctified me not in the midst of the children of Israel. In other words, he's telling Moses here that he, uh, that he won't be able to get into the promised land because he failed to uphold uh, the glory of Yeshua at the waters of Meribah. In other words, that was a contention that the people were saying Moses had gotten them out into the wilderness and they didn't have water to drink. And when Moses went to Elohim, Elohim t told him what to do. And when, Mel when Elohim told him what to do, he somewhat went against what Elohim told him. Elohim told him to strike the rock once and he struck it twice and he had a lot of anger in what he did. So Elohim told him he would not make it into that uh, promised land. Okay, now let us look at uh, uh, Deuteronomy 33.8. 33.8 says this, And of the Levi, he said, Let thy Thuman and thy Urim be with thy Holy One, whom thou didst prove at Massah, and with whom thou didst strive at the waters of Meribah. So it's a continuous reminder to Moses that he didn't act in the behalf in which he should, and this would not permit him to go into the promised land with that generation. Okay, now we look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Now, here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we want to read a few verses in that particular uh, discourse there. Now, here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we want to look at verses 35 through 38. And verse 35 says, Surely... There shall no one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto your fathers, save Caleb, the son of Juphanah, he shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon, and to his children, because he hath wholly followed Yah. Also, Yah was angry with me for your sake, saying, Thou also shalt not go 
either. So we see that Caleb, he was to go over, but he said to Moses, you, you will not go over. And then he goes on to say in verse 38, but Joshua, the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. So we see that there was two individuals, Caleb and Joshua, who was faithful to the promises of Yah. And we see that Moses was not. Moreover, not only did Moses fail to get into the promised land, but also his generation, Israel's refusal to take the promised land when the 12 heads of the tribes were sent out to spy out Cana, the land the land of promise. Now, 10 of them didn't believe they could take the land and two believe they could. Now, when we turn over to Numbers, in the book of Numbers, we want to go to chapter 13, Numbers 13. Now, we already seen that Caleb and Joshua, they felt they could take it, but the other 10 didn't feel that they could. Now, here in Numbers chapter 13, verse 3 says, And Moses, by the commandment of Yah, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, all those men were heads of the children of Israel. So you had 12 tribes, so you have 12 heads. And these 12 heads were to go over and examine the land, and they come back. This was the land of promise that Elohim was giving them after they had come out of Egypt. They could have been in their promised land in 40 days, but by being disobedient, it took them 40 years. And all of those for the 40 years who didn't do what Elohim had said, they would drop dead in the wilderness, and the next generation was to take over. But here we find in Numbers 13, verses 28 to 30, says this, it says, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The, Amalekite, the Amalekites dwelt in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwelt dwell in the mountains, and Canaanites dwelt by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. So here we see the confidence of Caleb in being able to see what Elohim had promised. He was able to deliver into their hands. And it was Joshua who led the next generation of Israel into the promised land. Now let us turn to Joshua chapter 1. Uh, Joshua. And we want to look at chapter 1 of Joshua. Now here in, 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 in Joshua chapter 1, we want to look at uh, uh, verses 10 and 11. Now here, Bible says, Joshua chapter ten, chapter one, and verses ten through eleven says, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, 
pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare you visuals, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which Yah, your Elohim, giveth you to possess it. So here we find uh, Joshua is now in league. Once having gotten established in their land, they followed Yah, Yah's will. However, after the generation of Joshua, the Bible tells us they knew not Yah nor his works, which he did in Israel. Now in Joshua uh, 2.10, it says, Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, you know, pass through the host and command the people, saying, prepare you visuals, for in three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess it, which Yah, your Elohim, giveth you to possess it. So we see Moses and his generation couldn't get in, but now Joshua and his generation, they are able to make it into the promised land. Now, when we turn, when we turn to Judges, we go to Book of Judges, chapter seventeen. Now, in, in in Judges seventeen, we look at verse uh, number six. <clears throat> well, let me see that. Uh, let me see. Hold up. I may have. Let me. Uh, I may have got the wrong text there, but we'll check it out and see. All right. Let's see. Okay, I think we wanted uh, Judges, uh, I think it's one, it Judges 1, 6. This is talking about Joshua. It said, Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance in the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Okay, so that's that's reiterating the promise that he had given to Israel in going into uh, the promised land. And so this second generation, uh, after Moses, they were able to inherit that particular land. Okay, okay now... Uh, want to turn to uh, Judges 21. Judges 21. Okay, here in Judges chapter 21, we want to read uh, verse 25. Judges 21, 25. Okay, let me see. Let me see. Is that the right text that I want? Let me see. Okay, I think, uh, let me see. No, I think, okay, I think what happened was I was not in the right book. Let's let's go back to Judges chapter 17, Judges. I think I was in the book of Joshua. That's what the problem was. Okay, Joshua. Joshua 17.6. Not Joshua, but Judges 17.6. Okay, that's what I wanted. All right. Okay, now here in Judges chapter 17, verse 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Okay, now what had happened is 
that after Joshua had gotten them into the promised land, it was during the time period of the judges that Israel fluctuated between being obedient and disobedient to Yah's will. So often when they disobeyed and was taken out and was taken over by the enemy and cried out to their Elohim, he heard their cry and sent them a deliverer. And again, once having been delivered, they sunk into their former ways of doing whatever was right in their own eyes. Okay. Now we turn to uh, Judges 21, 25. Now in Judges 21, 25, we are told in the last verse of the 21st chapter or the last chapter and the last verse of Judges, notice what it says. It said, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You see, so often when Elohim's people got where they were going and they got comfortable, they started doing things contrary to what Elohim wanted. And as a result, they went back into captivity. Into captivity. So we see constantly over and over and over in Israel's history, they were up and they were down. They were in and they were out. Sometimes they obeyed and sometimes they disobeyed. But as a result of them doing that, what happened was that they were often going back into captivity for their disobedience. So from Jacob, who was renamed Israel up to the time of Samuel, the priests of Yah's people were under his divine leadership. And it was under Samuel's leadership that Yah's people asked for a king, okay? And this was one of the most disobedient acts that his people could have engaged into. Okay, let us now turn to 1 Samuel. In, 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 in the 1 Samuel, we want to look at chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. And notice what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're looking at verses 4 and 5. And the Bible says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So in other words, they had reached a point that they felt that because the sons of Eli or the sons of Samuel at this particular juncture was not faithful and that Samuel was old, they said, we want a king. Now, what their reason for king, they said, because all the other nations have kings, let us have a king. Now, in the same eighth chapter, we read in verse 19, it says, we won't read 19 to 22. In other words, they say, your sons are not being faithful and in, in, in being the priests in the, in, in the sanctuary and among their people, and you are old, and we are looking at the nations that they have kings. We ought to have one too. Now, the Bible says this, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, nay, but we will have a king over us. So they tell Samuel, who had led them 
many years. They're saying, we, we, we're not going to listen to you. We don't care what you say. We want a king. We want a king. And it goes on to say in verse 20 that we also may be like all the nations. And that's what they wanted to be, like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So they were insistent on having the literal physical king rather than Elohim. And verse 21, it says, And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of Yah. And Yah said unto Samuel, Hearken unto their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, Go every one, go ye every man unto his city. In other words, Elohim is saying, they are insistent, Samuel. He's trying to let Samuel know, Samuel, you know, they're not against you, they're against me. That's, that's what the problem is. He say, but go ahead, give them a king. Go ahead, make them a king. And when he told him they were going to make him a king, he said, now, just go your way. Okay, now, we turn into First uh, Samuel, First Samuel chapter 10. Let's go to First Samuel chapter 10. And this time we want to go to verses 21 and uh, 20, we want to go from verses 21 and 22. It said, when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of the family of Matri was taken, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they saw him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of Yah further, if the man should yet come thither. And Yah answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. Okay. So what was happening? Elohim told uh, Samuel to get them a king. So Israel's first king was Saul of the tribe of Benjamin. And that's told to us in uh, the ninth chapter, in the ninth chapter of First Samuel. It says in verses 1 and 2, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechorath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. So here he's pointing out Saul was quite tall and he towered over the people. So this was one of the most disobedient acts to ask for a king. So Elohim recognized they wanted, so he gave them a king. And as a result of giving them a king, when Saul was chosen to be king, Israel's king, and they sought it to find him, the Bible says they could not find him. But Elohim told him that he had hid himself among the stuff. In other words, 
Saul was very timid, very shy. And as a result, when they made him king, he hid himself. Now, as he continued, he became lifted up and walked contrary to Yah's will because he failed to amend his ways. Yah rejected him as Israel's king. See, Saul had reached a point that he was doing things that only the priest should do. A king had his duties, and a priest had his duties. And a king was not to do the duties of, of a priest. And that was one instance where, where Saul felt that Samuel was too late in getting there, so he offered the sacrifices. So when Samuel got there, he told Saul that he shouldn't have done that. And there were other instances in which Saul continued to go against Elohim's will. And so the Bible says that Elohim uh, rejected Saul because just Saul rejected him. Now Samuel said concerning Saul that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yah, he has offered so rejected you from being king. So when we read in First Samuel chapter 15 and verse 23, notice what it says. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 23. Here we are told that the very thing that Saul was doing to be rejected. He said, for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. But because thou hast rejected the word of Yah, he has also rejected you from being king. So what we're seeing here is if Saul had started like he ended and ended like he started, he might have been Israel's king for life. But due to the fact he didn't want the Lord's will, the Lord had to reject him. And so what we are seeing, we are seeing disobedience all the way from heaven down to Adam and Eve, and from Adam and Eve all the way up to the time of Samuel, in which Israel received his first king. What do we see? And even in getting their first king, they were disobedient and rebellion to the will of Elohim. So we are up to this point, and then when we get started in our third discourse, we'll start from the King David, and we'll be able to move on up. So we close with that particular uh, scenario. Eternal Father, we thank you, Father, that as we follow the trail from Adam all the way up to Saul, we can see the disobedience of your people. And we trust that we can learn from this because our day is, is here. And will we be disobedient or will we be obedient? In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And we do pray. Amen. 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 Um, up until Samuel, they told the uh, Israel told Samuel they wanted a physical king. Uh mm -hmm. Yah was the one leading them up until that time. Was Yah the one leading them up until that time? Or was it someone else? Now, run it by me. I didn't get the last part of your question. Up until the time that uh, uh, the children of Israel wanted 
uh, a physical king, was uh, Yah the one leading Israel, or was it someone else? Well, it, it was. They were under the leadership of uh, of Samuel. If you remember when Samuel first got started, uh-huh. Samuel was the one that uh, was Hannah's child, and she had prayed for Samuel, and she told the Lord that if you give me a child, I'll dedicate him to you. And he became the priest, and Elohim was speaking through Samuel to the people, uh-huh. and it was actually Elohim leading. But they reached a point that. And they were tired of Samuel, and they wanted to be like other nations, and they wanted to get their own king. Yeah, Elohim was leading them, mm-hmm. but apparently that type of leadership, they couldn't see him, and so they felt that they wanted a king. Because after all, I mean, if they got a king, Elohim was the one that told them to go ahead and get another king, because he was their king. Mm-hmm. And that's why he told Samuel, he said, they're not against you, Samuel. He said, they're against me. Mm. He said, so, he said, so go, go ahead and get him a king. And even when they got a king, uh, he didn't work out. But Elohim, as I've said, he had to choose another king. But when they, choose the, when they chose the king, it was Elohim trying to search out the best man for their kingdom. He could have led him, but they chose to want to be like the nations. Wow. And, you know, it's interesting. I never thought about it, but how you said that disobedience started in heaven, first and foremost, you know, with the fallen angels and everything. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, I was like, you know, I never really thought about it that way, that everything started there, the mm-hmm. rebellion, and which end up overflowing here on this earth. Yeah. Um, and if we had been obedient, we probably wouldn't be where we are, but that's no, what it was. No. We have a question and a comment. Mm. Uh, it says, uh, Moses told Yahuwah to wipe his name out of the book of life if Yah was going to destroy the Hebrews. Did not Moses realize that he would be physically burned up and separated from Yah forever? Okay, is there a text? Uh, no. Th- okay, well, well, let's look at it this way. Uh, if he was, if he was blotted out the book of life, he would be uh, burned up forever. You're right about that. But let's take in consideration. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna deal with this in in two ways. In two ways. Uh, number one, Moses. Uh, a number of times he interceded for his people. He was an intercessor. He was an intermediary. He was one that went between the people and Elohim. So when they acted up, Elohim wanted to d- destroy them. And so Moses was saying, if you destroy the people, then destroy, destroy me also and take me out of the book of life. Because he felt that he could uh, be able to lead the people to doing what Elohim wanted them to do. But Elohim knew different from Moses. And so Moses, in saying that if you destroy them, destroy me, other than the fact that he thought down the line that 
people will be destroyed in the, in the fires of Sheol. His focus was on the fact that he really loved the people so much that he wanted to see them have redemption. And so his, his mind was not on the total destruction. Okay, so, so, so Elohim is really, in a way, testing Moses. Did he really want to lead these people or just to destroy them? Okay, now, all of this is not said in the scriptures, but what I'm, what I'm pointing out is simply this. Uh, did he really look at the hellfire, or did he really, was he really just pleading for his people? Because a lot of times when we are in for the people, their minds are not really on the ultimate consequences, but they are really trying to say to Elohim, give them another chance that we may be able to make it. Okay, now that's the first way I'm going to answer. Now the second thing way I'm going to answer is this. Moses, if you study his life, he was a type of, he was a type of Yeshua. He was a type of uh, Christ, as we as we would put it. He was a type of the Messiah, a type. Now, when you look at the type and the antitype, Moses was a type. Yeshua was the antitype. Okay. Now, when Moses was born, they were trying to do what? Kill all of the male childs when Moses was born. Okay. And when you look at Yeshua, when he was born, Herod was trying to kill all of the male babies. Okay, he's trying to kill all of the male male children at a certain age. Okay, because he was trying to kill the Messiah, just like they were trying to kill Moses. So I'm saying Moses was a type of Messiah. Okay, now in this instance, as an intercessor, Yeshua was also he was also a type of Messiah. I mean, he was not uh, uh, Moses was also a he was a type. But Yeshua was the antitype, which means that when Moses pleaded for the people, did not Yeshua do the same thing? He knew that we would act up, and he knew that some of us was going to get hell fire, but he pleaded for us, and when he pleaded for us, three times, according to the scriptures, he says, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, three times, he said, Father, I don't want to drink this bitter cup, but nevertheless, not your will, but mine be done. And then when he's this, when we see his disciples, they were sleeping. He came back again and said, Father, uh, I don't want to drink this bitter cup, but not my will, but yours be done. He went back and they were sleeping again. And he woke them up and he went back and he prayed, Father, I don't want to drink this bitter cup, but not my will, but yours be done. He went back to his disciples and they were sleeping again. He said, sleep on now. Because I have to go to the cross, okay? Now, when he was thinking about drinking the bitter cup, his mind may have been on hell for those who would be destroyed. So just like Moses, if Moses was interceding and saying, blot me out of the book, then Yeshua was also pleading that when he, he drunk the cup, that he would get the results of what the people would get. And this is what you you would say, uh, that when he drunk the cup, the bitter cup of accepting our sins and dying for our sins, that he partook of not the first death, 
But the second death, what was the second death? The second death was that they would be slain forever. They would not get eternal life. And he had to drink that cup. Now, the reason why we know he drank the second cup is because we all, when I say all, I mean the people that have lived and died, they have received the first death. So it was not the first death that he was dying for. He had already told Adam, if you eat a fruit, you're going to die. But he's talking about the second death. Because if he hadn't died the second death for us who would get hell fire, then that would mean that if he only died the first death, that the people who died the first death, then they would be the only one to have eternal life. Because there came along another generation after that generation uh, that when Yeshua would come, you would only have two classes of people to save. And that would be the people who died in, in, in Yeshua, who were in the grave. And then you would have the people who were living for him. They were living for him. Okay, now, if he only died that first death for the ones in the grave, then then the ones who were living and they were wicked and the ones who were living who were righteous, then the righteous living would not have gotten eternal life either because if he only died that first death, but he died the second death even for those who are still living, that they may not have to die that, that final death. And what was the final death? The final death was simply this. The death that the first death was that the body would die, but the soul, but the spirit would be, go back to Elohim. And this is why the Bible teaches that don't fear him that can kill the body, but fear him, but fear him who was only Elohim who could kill the body and the soul. So the body and the soul, once it was destroyed, and that person is no more. That is the second death, and that's the death that Yeshua died. So when we look at Moses, I don't think uh, as he was a type, the Messiah, that he looked all the way down to see what Messiah would actually die of. I think Moses was looking primarily at the immediate time. But if we were to say that Moses was willing to say, Father, I love this people so much that I'm willing to be blotted out of the book of life myself. Now, for an intercessor that is that conscientious about his people, you have to give him credit that he was saying, if you can't save them, I'm willing to, in a way, be destroyed in that second death. Just like Messiah, when he came, Yeshua, he was saying that if it means me drinking this cup to die the second death for my people, I am willing to do that because I love them so much. And he went on and drunk it so that those who believed in him, both the dead righteous and the righteous living, they did not have to experience the second death. And so when I look at it from that angle, then yes, it may sound like Moses 
was saying, I'm willing to do the sex, that death, which he was no doubt right. He would have experienced that. But it didn't get to that point. And it was the same thing with Abraham. When Abraham took his son, Isaac, to slay him on, on, on Mount Moriah, he was willing to kill his son. But Elohim stopped him. He said, Abraham, I've tested you. You're faithful. So you don't have to kill your son. And so I see the same thing in Moses and Yeshua. Okay, I hope that uh, will answer your question. And with that, we will go into our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. In this segment of Let's Talk About It, I kind of want to talk about the prophets and also prophecy. Uh, you know, throughout the Bible, you have Yahuwah talking to the prophets to tell them, you know, what was going to happen to Israel. Some things came to be and others are still to come to be. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter one. And we're going to read verses one and two. That's Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two. And it reads, Elohim, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in the time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in the last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the world's. So, Pastor, my question today is uh, in regarding to the prophecy. It sounds like uh, in Hebrews 1, it was stating that in times prior, Elohim talked to uh, prophets to disclose certain things to them. But it sounds like his son now is basically would tell us uh, what's to come. Is the am I off base or with that logic? Okay, give give me the last part that you were saying. Yeah, I was saying that uh, the verse talks about how Elohim spoke to the fathers, uh, to the prophets. And from the prophets to speak to the uh, children of Israel and everything. And it says, I guess, in verse two, has in these last days spoken unto us, to us by his son. So is that saying that his son in the last days in regarding to prophecy will be speaking to us? So you asking whether his son will be speaking to us through prophecy or or that's all we need is a son and we don't need prophets or what what are you? no is is his son with his son be uh in how can i say it? uh will his son basically be speaking to us as elohim did to the prophets in the last days 
So you're saying, will, will Elohim, his son, be speaking to us as a prophet in the last days? Uh, I, I guess he, yeah, oh, I guess okay. in a way. Well, yeah. Okay, well, say it again. I'm, I'm trying to get the flavor of your question so I can be more specific. Yeah, because I just want to, in the last days, instead of uh, mm -hmm. Elohim going through a prophet to speak to us, will his son be speaking to us directly? I guess that's the way I should phrase it. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, well, let, let's take a look at that. Um, when he said that he spoke to us, uh, the fathers, which was the patriarchs, you know, mm -hmm. by the prophets. Now, who were who were who were the fathers? Well, you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, you got uh, many, many of the fathers. I guess our first father was Adam. Well, Adam was a prophet himself. Uh -huh. Okay. And when you talk about the patriarchs, you, well, the patriarchs are dealing with the, with, with, the, with the fathers. And when we see uh, what we might say, uh, the kings who sit on the thrones, it was many of the prophets that spoke to them, even when they got out of line. Uh -huh. It's like you have uh, you you have the prophet Isaiah. He spoke during the time in which he spoke to Hezekiah, you know, about uh, certain things that he was doing. So he has always used a prophet. Okay. Uh, matter of fact, the Bible teaches that without a prophet, he did not lead his children. Uh -huh. And so when Yeshua came, he was a fulfillment of prophecy, but this doesn't mean that we don't, we do not have prophetical leadership because this is a prophetical movement. And when we say a prophetical movement, what we're saying is that everybody in the movement may not be prophets, but everybody in the movement are going by the prophetical, uh, uh, the, the prophetical, uh, prophecies that the prophets did speak. We still follow the prophets even though we may not be prophets, there are still modern day prophets as well. But Yeshua would, would lead us because he is the fulfillment of many of the prophetical utterance that was given by prophets in the days of old. So he did not take the place of prophets, but he spoke of the prophets uh -huh. because every time he, he spoke, uh, it's either about the Torah or what the prophets uh, or what the prophets had uh, uh, said. Now, when we consider the fact that when he was here on earth, uh, he he spoke to us in two ways. He spoke to us through the word, and he also spoke to us how? Uh, through his life that he lived. Okay, now when you look at um, Matthew chapter 24, he speaks a lot about uh, prophecy, so when the Bible says here, he in, in, in Hebrews 1, uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Okay, how did he speak? How did he, how did he speak to us? Well, he, he spoke to us by the fact that when he died on the cross, he was able to give us the redemption. When he uh, was resurrected, he showed us what uh, the ultimate end of life would be if for the believers. He spoke in that sense. And if you read verse 3 of the same chapter you just uh, gave us in Hebrew, uh -huh. he said, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person 
upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by, by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So in other words, the life that he lived and how he carried out prophecy was how he speaks to us. And so when we read, like in Matthew 24, I was saying, mm -hmm. there's a lot of prophecies that when his disciples came to him, that he was able to give them these particular prophecies. And they were not only prophesied by him, but they was also prophesied by others in the Bible. And so as we read these prophecies, what are we, we, we beholding? Well, they are prophetical utterance, because even, even Yeshua, he was a messenger. He was also a, a prophet, even though he was a redeemer. So he didn't take the place of prophets. Of prophets. Mm -hmm. He merely uh, was, uh, we could say, a prophet of the prophets, because even Moses said in the book of Deuteronomy that in, he would raise up a prophet uh, among the people like unto himself. No, so Moses was a prophet, but he said he's going to raise up another prophet. And who was that other prophet? He was going to raise up like unto himself that he would raise up from among his people. Well, when Yeshua was the seed and he was birthed into this world, he was a prophet that was going to be raised up like Moses to be among the people. And he would give the prophetical utterance, not just himself, but he'd go back to the scrolls of the Torah in which he, before he came into the world, gave to Moses to give to children of Israel. And now that he's coming to the world, the same thing he gave to Moses is the same thing that he is articulating he himself. Because you remember when he was resurrected from the grave mm -hmm. and he was telling them uh, about the Messiah and they was questioning him. And, and the Bible says that he began to show them in the book of Psalms, in the book of the prophets, in the book of the law, how he must die and be resurrected. And when, and when he got ready to leave them, they said, man, did not our hearts burn as he talked to us, by the way? What he was telling them, that everything that they were beholding was found right in the prophets. Mm. He lived it out. He was able to personify the things that they had read. So, yes, he was a prophet, but he is not going to do away with prophets. It's just that by his life corresponding with the things that the Bible had taught, he spoke more eloquent than just the word itself because he lived it out and he portrayed it unto us. And so therefore uh, his life shines out much brighter than just reading the scrolls because we see the scrolls lived, lived out in his particular life. So let me, uh, so if they are going to be prophets in these last days with wickedness, the way it is, how can we really know if they're a true prophet? I mean, besides, you know, the Ten Commandments and them following, because in these days, you know, you have some wicked people look to start cults and everything else. Mm -hmm. How do we really know if they are genuinely tied to the Most High? Well, I, I think one of I think one of the, one of the ways is is that. Uh, as we deal with the last days, 
one of the things that that we know in the last days that we'll be dealing with uh -huh. is deception. Okay. Now, when we deal with de deception, a lot of times we are deceived not by the fact that the person is deceiving us, but by the fact that we are not comparing with the person what the person is doing with the word. Uh -huh. If their life and their lifestyle and what they're saying is not in harmony with the word, and we are not in the word, we can be deceived. But if we're in the word and we're studying the word and what the prophet is saying and what the prophet is doing is not in alignment with the word, then we have to say, you know, that's that's not the prophet that we want to deal with because both the life and what he's saying is not in harmony with the word. Okay. Uh -huh. Now, here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24. It said, and many false prophets shall shall rise and shall deceive many. And that's what we're going to see in the last days. We're going to see the deception of many. Now, why are we looking at deception as one of the main things? Because we know that the world is going to end how? Like it began. Mm -hmm. Okay, how did it begin? Well, if you go all the way back to Genesis, it said that the serpent did what? He deceived Eve. He deceived the whole world back then. Who was the whole world? Well, back then, the whole world was Adam and Eve. That's all you had. And he deceived them, okay? Uh -huh. So if the world is going to end like it uh, started, then how did it start? It started in deception. It's going to end in deception. And this is what Elohim is saying. He is saying that when you deal with deception, deception is going to come about by not knowing his word. Uh -huh. And if you don't know his word, then you don't know what the prophet is doing and you don't know what the prophet is saying because they are false. But if you are not in his word, then how you know they're false? And if you're not in his word, how you know they live in false? You know that only by his word. So if you get into his word, his word is going to teach you about our behavior and about what people are saying to prove whether they are true prophets or not because deception is going to be a part of the end of this particular world that he's going to try even to deceive people into believing that he is uh, the Christ. And many people, not only not only the devil, but many people are going to do it. Now, in Matthew 24, 24 says this. Uh -huh. It says, For there shall arise false messiahs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, who are the elect? The elect are the people who are actually in his word. They are doing what he says do. And the Bible says that if it were possible, now it's probably not possible, but what he's saying, that some of this stuff that's going to come on the earth with false prophets and false Christ is going to be so impelling and so intriguing that if it were possible, the very people who are conscientious and studying the Bible diligently every day and really trying to understand it, if it were possible, he would almost deceive these people. Uh -huh. So if he can almost deceive the people who are actually in his word, what do you think he's going to do with the people who are not in his word? Yeah. And, he, and, 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 and he's talking about uh, deception. You know, 
And deception is going to be a large part to play with the false prophets. And if they're not in harmony with his word, he is saying, you know, don't, don't, don't believe him. Don't believe him. So is, has everything already been prophesied that's in the scripture? Or if a new prophet was to come on the scene, would there be some new things added? Or is it everything is prophesied already been prophesied that's in scripture? Okay, well, let me look at your question from a couple of angles because when you say everything been prophesied, see now there's, there's a difference between everything having been prophesied uh-huh. in opposition to the fact that have everything been prophesied been fulfilled. Uh-huh. There's a difference. I'm, I'm picking up some nuances, uh, you know, for your question, because when you said have everything been prophesied. Well, I mean, not fulfilled yeah. yet, but has everything that is to come have already been stated in Scripture? And that if someone else was to come on the scene, say, well, there's going to be, uh, well, we already know it's going to be earthquakes and everything, but it may be something else. They may claim that's going to happen. That hasn't been written in the Bible. So are we to look at that as deception or everything that has happened in scripture that was prophesied and happened and that is to come has already been stated in scripture? Well, again, I, again, I had to look at that, that two ways, too, because when you say have everything been prophesied, mm-hmm. I believe everything have been prophesied. I don't think he left out any anything that doesn't need to be prophesied. Okay. Okay. But I can't say everything that he had prophesied has been fulfilled. Some things are yet to yet to fulfill themselves. Mm-hmm. But then if you flip the coin over on, on the other side, then has everything been prophesied? Uh, in other words, when I say have everything been prophesied, which is true, but there are some things that might come up uh, that may not explicitly have been declared from the word. Let us say that uh, you have a, a situation whereas you have a what, what we might say a economical uh, downfall in mm-hmm. America uh, due to his banking system. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we know that Wall Street is going to fall. We know that America is going to fall one day. Mm-hmm. It's on its way. It's out. You know, it's just a matter of time. America is coming down to the dust like the rest of the nations. Now, the Bible may not have come down and and traced. The economical system uh-huh. and the healthcare system and the educational system and the and the governmental system in every detail that may not be. Yeah. Okay. And parents said, "Well, uh, we didn't know that stock uh, that the stock market was going to fall again, and uh, you know, like it did in 1929." But because the Bible didn't come out and say that particularly mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it wasn't prophesied because the Bible does. Uh, if you look at our economy, it is going to the fact that money is going to be use- useless. Mm-hmm. That's not going. It, it, it's not going to mean anything. The Japanese yen is not going to be uh, uh, mean anything. The euro over in Europe is not going to mean anything. 
because money is going to be allocated in a different way. Uh-huh. And so because the Bible didn't come in and give us every detail on how that money was going to uh, go out of, uh, out of play, doesn't mean it, that it wasn't prophesied because you know, I believe it's in Isaiah. He it says it's going to come a time when money will be thrown into the streets and nobody would pick it up. Uh-huh. Why was that? That's simply because it's going to come a time it's going to be useless. You can have it, but it ain't gonna, it's not going to mean anything because they're going to have another monetary system. So all of that detail, it may not, you may not see that in the scriptures, but if you got some kind of astute understanding that if the nations are going to come down, then that's going to be a part of it. So we want to, we don't want to get into the point that uh, that's because the Bible didn't say you shouldn't smoke a cigarette and you didn't see the cigarette in the Bible that you can smoke a cigarette. Uh-huh. Well, you know, health-wise, anything taken into the body should not be put into Elohim's temple. Only things that are pure and wholesome should go into your body. And because it didn't say cigarettes or cigars or whatever you smoke or marijuana and all this stuff, because it didn't specifically say that, that means it it wasn't prophesied. The principle is there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so those are the two ways I can see it. There will be things that would affect the whole world that is in the scriptures, but there'll be detailed things that you might not see all of the details there. Okay. I think that was a really good explanation. Uh, Yeah. So, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready and close out this session of this podcast? Hello, and Father, again, we thank you, Father, that as... We can discuss your word and some of the nuances and the things that we see that we can be better Bible students and better uh, scholars in the Bible to be able to explain and to explore your word in such a way that we can see the events taking place in the end of time, that we can apply ourselves to the things that you have given us, that we may be in harmony with your wishes. And we ask, O oh, Father, that as we continue to go down a trail, O oh, Father, of, of those in the past as well as now and in the future, of what we call the destiny of disobedience, that we may choose to be obedient to you. Now, Father, as we get ready to close out, we ask that you would continue to bless us on the Shabbat, that you may renew, revitalize, and recreate us anew, that as we go through the Sabbath, that we may be able to get the blessing that you have in store. Bless my host and his family. Bless me and my family. Bless each person who listen and their families. Bless those who are sick and shed in among us. Bless those who have experienced death, that they may be able to be comforted by your holy comfort to the Holy Spirit. And as we go into a new week, O Heavenly Father, we may be refreshed to do a better job for thee. Thank you again, O Heavenly Father, for those who listen and for those of us who have taken part of this service, that the power of the Holy Spirit may continue to lead us until the day in which you call forth your children, that we may be so faithful that you can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of your Yahuwah. And now sin will be wiped away, and you will give us a life that will measure with the life of your son and with you throughout eternity is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Uh, we do have one more question. And I guess we get it before we uh, close out. 
And it reads, uh, John was told not to write what the seven thunders said until a later time. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't this be considered a new revelation or prophecy? Well, I don't think it'd be a. I don't think it'd be a new revelation or prophecy because uh, we are reading a, We are reading about it right there. But what what would what would be new is not the prophecy, but what is what is contained in that prophecy? Since he was told not to write it, what what was in it? I don't know. Uh, it wasn't revealed to me, and wasn't revealed to John. I'm not sure. I think some of some of these prophecies that have been prophesied, we have to wait until they are uh, revealed to us. Uh-huh. Like some of the prophecies, even though they've been revealed, but they have not been played out. And I think at the time in which they are being played out then we'll probably be coming into the knowledge as it is as it is happening. And I don't believe that a number of the prophecies uh, have been lived out to the extent that we understand them. Because there's a lot of things in Revelation that it speaks about, but we haven't come in really into the true knowledge of really what it's telling us. So I can only say, yes, he talked about the seven thunders and he couldn't write but he didn't tell us basically what it was that he told John to put his pen down don't write it I, I don't I don't know okay uh also we want to remind you day of atonement is this sundown Thursday to sundown Friday October the 7th come and celebrate with us the day of atonement from 1 p.m and come back at 7 p.m. also. And we will be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles October the 12th and October the 19th at 1 p.m. and at 6 p.m. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. O ye seed of Yasharel, his servant, ye children of Yaakov, his chosen ones. He is Yahuwah Eloheinu, his judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom.